This is The Analysis, a weekly examination of the culture in light of truth. I'm Deanna Huff. And I'm Mark DeMoss. Join us as we investigate and analyze the environment of the world where we live. We will be shedding the light of God's Word on the issues. And responding as Christians to influence followers of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with those around them. This week we're going to talk about a few things that have come up in the news. And we're also going to relate that to who is man and what is humanity. And some of the things that have come about this week have been regarding the information around the Nashville statement. Right. But one of the questions that... I think about when we're looking at the culture especially is this identity crisis we're having. Now you can pick from several different identities on Facebook, you can pick from different identities now on marriage license. And so I think that this is definitely something that is discussed on a regular basis. And so let's look back and see what does God's word say about this? And how can we draw closer in relationship and reflect God most clearly while we're having these conversations? And so one of the questions that I have to ask is, who who are we last week we talked about who is god and our view of god will determine pretty much all of our actions and decisions and if we look back at genesis 1 it makes me think of he created us in the beginning right in his image right yeah as you think about who god is once you get that right if god's creator if he's the sovereign of the universe if he establishes all that is made then what he's made needs necessarily by that to be good and under his authority. And so Genesis 1, 27 tells us that he made man, humanity. Uh, we use the word man in a general term there, okay? He made humanity in his image. And in the, in the image of God, it then goes on to say, he made them male and female. And so there's an identifier that immediately comes out from his creation. And as he establishes humanity, he, he creates a division between male and female and sees that as the good representation of how he's going to stamp his image upon humanity, that it includes a stamp on all of humanity, but uniquely within the context of maleness and femaleness and all that those things mean, tied not only to biological function, uh, but also tied to their personhood, I think, at that point. Yeah, and it also makes me think that it's not just tied to their personhood. A male and a female come together, they form cultures, but in the New Testament, they're also supposed to be a picture of the church. Right. And Jesus and his bride. And so I think when we look at the image of male and female, especially from Genesis 1, then we can clearly see that he had a plan of, of this identification. I think that the question that I have is, do we have the right to be able to change that? Can we change what God has established because it doesn't meet our own desires? And that struggle of, well, this is what I desire, but making it to where we can say, well, even though God designed it this way from creation, I can change because my desire has changed on it. Yeah, the big question comes down to everyone's functioning with some level of authority over their lives. 
And if you're deciding that you can yourself determine something as fundamental as gender choice or selection for you or for a child, and we see this happen uh, sometimes with parents, uh, that they see behavior in a young child, and so they'll begin guiding them now toward their desire to play with girl toys instead of boy toys or vice versa. If you can choose that for yourself or you can you can choose that for somebody else, you've established a, an authority. You've de determined that you have that authority or that nature has that authority. And, and what we're saying is God is the authority. And if God is the authority and he's expressed his authority through his word, then we don't have a choice. We're going to follow our authority. And our authority has established maleness and femaleness. And he has revealed that really clearly to us biologically. He's made it very evident. There's a, there's a capacity for males and a capacity for females to function biologically and to come together and to procreate. And that's the only way for that to occur. Uh, and again, the big picture points then forward to Christ and the church and what that, that relationship is supposed to ultimately represent. So we don't have a choice if we establish the right line of authority. Yeah, so it's not so much, I don't think we have a choice, it's we don't have a choice because it comes back to this biblical authority over our own desires. And I think that's where the Nashville statement came out of. I think this idea that we were going to affirm some of the beliefs regarding God's Word is, is necessary for us to understand how we get to the places of conclusion that we do is it are we coming to some conclusions because of our own thoughts and desires and reasoning or is it because this is coming out of the text this is what's being revealed from the text and i think even rosaria butterfield who recently signed the nashville statement who talks about that you know she once was in a lifestyle that was counter to what God desired. But once she realized and recognized in God's Word that it was not His design for her, then she changed because she was going to follow God and what His Word had desired for her over her own desires. Yeah. And so when we look at the Nashville Statement, we think about these things, it makes me draw these conclusions that, oh, okay, this really isn't a matter of homosexuality or identity, or it's really not a matter of whether or not I'm in agreement with what I think about male and female. It's really, what do I believe about what God's revealed in Genesis? Yeah, it, it really does boil down to our worldview, which we've talked about a lot. Your worldview makes all the difference in the world. Um, but so often these conversations land and start and stop. Let me say it this way. They start and stop only in the morality. And, and morality is an important thing, but morality flows from a, an authority. Everybody has an authority, therefore they develop some sense of morality. And we know that the evidence of morality across the globe shows that there's one source for morality. Uh, that's one of the arguments for the existence of God. So you can start and stop with morality and still get back to God, 
but too often we leave it in the moral only discussion. Is, is homosexuality right or wrong? Is transgender right or wrong? And we get so anxious about that conversation and worked up about it from an evangelical morality standpoint that we just want to see it stop. And uh, there's not a way to stop it apart from the gospel. And so the gospel conversation doesn't really start with morality. It starts with allegiance. Satan and his demons chose a different allegiance. You will not be God over us. Adam and Eve chose a different allegiance. You will not be God over us. Romans 1 tells us humanity is saying you will not be God over us. We're going to worship something different. And what flows out of that then is all this fall, original sin, the ongoing sinfulness of mankind, and you'll be given over, you'll be given over, you'll be given over. That's the language of Romans 1. It's getting back to the allegiance and the lines of authority. And, and I would also say this, just in regards to the conversation of the Nashville Statement in particular, the, the authors of the statement and the evangelical Christians who are signing on or saying they're in agreement with this, we're not the ones that determine to have this conversation. Right. right. We didn't set out 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and go, okay, what should be the next big thing we're going to do as evangelicals? Let's, let's see if we can rid the world of homosexuality. No, it's in the public square. It's being talked about and pushed through public schools. And I'm not trying to separate public school from private school or Christian school or whatever. I'm just through the public education system that we have, um, through media through uh, the news conversations, it's getting into the public square. And so evangelicals are saying, we have a right to have a voice in the conversation. Yeah. And all they're doing is bringing the voice of Scripture to the conversation. They're not trying to hate someone. They're not trying to demean someone. What they're saying is, you're robbing humans of dignity. We're trying to restore dignity. Yeah, and and really, this this takes me back to what we've discussed earlier from Charles Taylor's book, A Secular Age. The culture has replaced the ideas of Christianity on origin, on meaning, on morality, on the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at who is man in the origin, God's Word says what was male and female. When now we're saying it can be whatever you want. Mm-hmm. In the meaning of life, it was to glorify God. And now we're saying in the culture, hey, well, whatever it takes to fulfill your desires, because that's what God wants. Mm. And then in morality, we're saying anything goes. There's really no right and wrong. And then in the afterlife, well, we've gotten rid of hell completely. So we have a whole new shift of ideas that we answer these questions with, with the banner of Christianity. And that is just not true. So I think that the voice that's trying to speak so loudly, it's not from the scriptures. And so therefore, that's why I think the Nashville Statement and things like that become necessary because... You're right. We're, we're saying we want a voice in the public square. And two of the things that we try to do at the beginning of this podcast is recognize what's going on in the culture and then what does the scripture say about it. But, but we like to also land with what is the church's response. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what I think about that. When you, when you were talking earlier and you were saying, well, 
it's in the public square and we're responding with a voice, well, it's now everywhere. I mean, I was just talking to a friend the other day who's a teacher. She has a 10-year-old in her her classroom is identifying as something different than her original biology. And so the church is going to have to be able to respond in love and compassion and care. But most importantly with what you said, we got to respond with the gospel. Yeah. There has to be a response. You, you have to speak. And that, I think that's the, the thing that you talked about the shift mm-hmm. away from the scriptures and how they're using the banner of Christianity, but it doesn't look anything like Christianity has looked for its full 2,000 years. Right. And, and we don't rely on the tradition of the fact that it didn't change for so long. What we look back on is, did they get it right? Were they interpreting the words of Jesus correctly and the letters of Paul correctly and the, and the other writings? Were they getting those correct? And if they were, then it's not that it's been around so long. It's just that they had it right. Mm-hmm. And so we're just trying to restate this is what the text says. So Christianity is tied not to an idea. It's tied to a revelation, the yeah. revelation of God. And so our job is to adjust to the revelation. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. <laughs> I ask my kids to adjust to revelations that I give them, especially when they're little and young. <laughs> this is what I'm going to share with you and give you and tell you. And I know you don't fully comprehend it, but as the authority, I'm revealing something to you that is going to be good for you if you'll, re- if you'll receive it and mm-hmm. follow it and obey it. It's called a rule, right? And we just we expect that to be there. We expect rules for people when we go to an amusement park, you you gotta you gotta wear the seat belt, you gotta fit in the seat, and you gotta be of this height, and or you don't get to ride on this. Why? Because it's dangerous if you don't. And so we expect rules in even the most simple things. And that's what these voices are trying to do with things like the Nashville Statement. They're not coming out with something new. They're saying you're you're categorizing something under a Christian banner and saying even Christians say this is okay. We're saying no, Christian orthodoxy says this. Right. And it's, you know, going back to that whole idea of who is man? What is humanity? And our view of God is going to determine that idea and what's behind that. And so our response in the church has to be a continuation of having these conversations. And we cannot stop and be upset or mad because someone's living a different life, but instead allowing those to be opportunities that we can cultivate relationship and just ask good questions like, where did you get that information? How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, that's so good. First Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 are two verses that have this long list of things that if you live this lifestyle, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And it's liars and swindlers and adulterers and homosexuality is in there and effeminate is in there. Uh, And so those are verses oftentimes that get quoted and kind of thrown at people who are living an immoral lifestyle. they're, They're the verses you'd put on a big picket sign to say, see, God hates you and wants to condemn you to hell, right? Yeah. Because it says, you, if you live this way, you won't enter the kingdom of God. But verse 11 says, such were some of you. 
Okay. Paul's writing those verses to believers in a church, in a place, in a city called Corinth, and they're Christians in that church. And he's saying, these people won't enter the kingdom of God. And, and you want to kind of sit back and go, yeah, that's right. The good people enter. And then he goes, no, wait a minute. Such were some of you. This is where you've come from. And I think that's the conversation the church has to have in response is you start by going, okay, I need to have a voice in the public square, but I was just like that at one point. I was blind. I was lost. I was confused. My life was wrong. I wasn't lining up with God. He wasn't my authority. I didn't believe the scriptures. I do now, but it's because of grace, not because I got smart, not because somebody showed me the way. God saved me. He changed my heart. He changed my mind about who He is, what He's revealed, and how I'm to live. And because He was gracious enough to do that, I get to now share that with other people who used to be where I was. That changes my approach a lot when I think about it that way on my own context. Yeah, and that reminds me of Butterfield because she went to the scriptures. She began to read and her life was changed. We cannot go to the scriptures and be like the Marcionites and say, well, I don't think this was true. I don't think this was true. I'll just take a little bit of this and then that'll be okay. It really is going to come back to whether or not we think that the scriptures are God's revelation to mankind and does that really reveal our identity? And if so, we can recognize that we are a wretched sinner apart from Him, mm-hmm. saved by grace, and be able to be restored. And those, those conversations come through, I think, a reflection of who God is, the tenderness, the love, the compassion, all of that, that humility that we so desire is, is Him. Yeah. It is Christ Himself. Yeah. And it really leads us to what I think we want to talk about next time is how you love your neighbor, right? So I, I get my relationship with God right. It helps me understand identity, which is a huge subject in our culture today. We're touching the tip of an iceberg that yeah. would sink many a Titanic. <laughs> um, but getting understanding identity flows from Him. Now how do I love my neighbor? How do I do this? right and well and good. So I think that's what we want to do next time. Well, that sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for listening and we'll pick that up next week. Have a great weekend.